my name's Adrian. If this is your first time around us and you're wondering, well, who are you then? Uh, my name's Adrian. I hope to get to know you by the end of this morning if I don't know you already. Um, I don't know what you like doing in your spare time. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy doing is going to art galleries. Uh, and what I like about art galleries is that it causes you to just slow down your pace. You can't speed walk through an art gallery. Well, you can, but it's pointless. The point of an art gallery is that you take your time in order to absorb each of the paintings that are hanging on the wall and the wonder of what they have, or maybe the peculiarity of what's being presented on the wall. And often you can find yourselves, and there's certain art galleries that, to be honest, I've never quite made it through yet, and I keep going back and back and back, because you get so far, and it's information overload, and you think, right, okay, I've seen those 20 paintings now, I need to come back for the next 200. Or maybe there's other galleries that you go to, and you think, well, I haven't got a clue what's going on there. We're in this series in John's Gospel, and the word gospel means good news, where John, if you like, has written this account of who Jesus is, like an art gallery. That you're not to speed walk through it, but rather that you're to take your time going through this account of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, in order the wonder of who Jesus is begins to saturate who we are. And so what we're doing is each week, if you like, taking a walk through the art gallery that is John's Gospel and just pausing before the next painting that's being presented in order that we can see more of who Jesus is. As we're discovering week on week, it is all about Jesus. But in us seeing more of who Jesus is, it then causes our lives to be changed. As we see more of who Jesus is, he then shapes who we are. And our desire is as we go through this art gallery of John's gospel, that it causes the wonder of who Jesus is to shape everything of who we are. And so with that in mind, we're going to look at this next painting, which I've entitled Banquet. And it's all about this amazing banquet that goes on, that Jesus and his friends and his family are invited to. It's a wedding banquet. And we're going to find out that for some of us, it will feel a very familiar story. But we're going to discover as we look at this story, there's this wonder of the Jesus that is revealed. So with that in mind, we're going to turn to John chapter 2. It'll appear on the screens. Uh, for those of you who've not got a Bible, you can look at it on your phone or you can open an actual Bible or a book. Um, and it reads this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jar, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, 
everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. And there they stayed for a few days. We stand before the first painting here, or this painting of this week. And we see this image that's being given of a wedding banquet, a wedding banquet that gets the disaster moment. The wine runs out. And as we're going to see in a bit, that, that wine that runs out is going to have a big impact. And by the end of the story, we find actually this is a moment where Jesus reveals he's one who can solve any situation. And we find out that he turns water into wine. And John wants us to understand that this banquet that's going on, this moment where Jesus turns water into wine, is actually a sign. He goes on and says, he says, hey, this is the first sign. The first sign that I'm going to give you. The first sign that reveals who Jesus is and his glory. That word that Moses spoke of to God and said, hey, I want to see your glory. And then God says, no, no, you, you can't possibly see this, but you're going to just see me pass you. And as you see me pass you by, I'll declare what my glory is. And it's about my love, my compassion and mercy. And John says at this point, hey, what's going on in this scene? What's going on in this event is the first sign of who Jesus is and what he's all about. And in that, what he's saying is, if this is the first one, surely then there's going to be some others. And if you were around a couple of weeks ago, we looked and said, actually, there's going to be seven signs that, G that John gives of who Jesus is through his account. And we're going to find that this is the first one and the seventh one is going to come in John chapter 20, where the last sign he gives of who Jesus is, is as the resurrected one. That's where we're going. So he says, this is a sign. It's not about the banquet. It's a sign about who Jesus is. It's a sign about what Jesus does. It's a sign about the hope that he is able to give you and able to give me. So let's look then. Let's look at the painting Let's look at the sign that's being painted. Firstly, then, it's a sign of who Jesus is. A sign of who Jesus is as what? Well, a sign of who Jesus is as the compassionate one. You see, in the day and age that this wedding was going on, you know, this isn't like a story that one day Jesus told a story about a wedding. No, this is a place, an event that Jesus was at. Hey, quick aside, Jesus was the kind of person you like to have at parties, Jesus is the kind of person who you like to have at your wedding. So Jesus is there with his family and friends. And somewhere in the proceedings, probably in this day and age, the, the whole of the village would have been invited to the wedding. And as the ceremony and the celebrations are going on, sometimes the celebrations would last up to a week. There's this crisis moment, a crisis moment that Jesus' mother Mary hears about. The wine has run out. And at that point, you can think, well, you know, wine's run out, so what? Well, no, it was the groom's role to provide for all of his guests. And if within that role he didn't provide, 
it became not a moment of embarrassment, a moment of public shaming. Public shaming of not just him, but his whole family. His whole family, remember, not just with a couple of people, no, the whole of the village, and therefore their reputation, not just in that moment, but for years to come, you know, they're going to be known as, hey, do you remember them? Do you remember the Smiths? Do you remember going, sorry, anyone with the surname Smith? It's just <laughs> one that came, do you remember the Smiths? John and Sarah are like, why are you picking on us? Um, do you remember the Smiths? Halfway through proceedings, the wine ran out. What kind of outfit are they running? Who are they? Now, in this moment, Jesus is told about this situation. We're going to go on to look in a moment as to why he responds like he does to his mom and say, hey, this isn't my moment. But in it, Jesus does act. Jesus acts because he realizes what this the impact of this moment is going to have on this individual, this family. And he acts with compassion and does something about it. Why? Because it's who he is. This is his glory being revealed. Who is Jesus? Well, he's one of compassion, one filled with compassion, one full of compassion. But he's also one who's a creator. See, we talk about creativity a lot. In this day and age, we talk about people who are creative, we talk about things being created, but the reality is what we do is we make. Creation, ultimately, is about making something out of nothing. And what Jesus does here is he creates. He creates something that isn't a magic trick. Let's be clear here, this isn't magic. This isn't Jesus suddenly going, whoa, bit of water. If, paf, poof, wine. This isn't that. This is a moment where Jesus, who is God, the one that John, in John 1, reveals, was there at the beginning, was spoken, and things came to life, is able to create, out of water, wine. You can't do that. I don't know who you are in this room, but I promise you, if you try to do something with water and just get it as H2O and heat it, freeze it, steam it, whatever it is, it is not going to turn into wine. We know there's another ingredient that we know that you need with wine, and that is grapes, and you do some other stuff which I haven't got a clue about. But Jesus knew something. See, this is what Dallas Willard says. He says, at the literally mundane level, I love that, Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it wine. Like, that's mind-blowing. Like, Jesus understood a molecular structure, the difference between water and wine, and therefore he's able to say, right, that water, I'm now going to change its structure in order that it becomes wine. Why? Because he's the one who spoke nothing into being. He's the creator, compassionate creator. He's also an abundant provider. There's this little sideline, it says, Jesus is asked, you know, come and create wine. And he, or, and he doesn't, Mary doesn't even say that, she just says, Hey, they've run out of wine. She doesn't know what he's going to do. She just hands the request. Jesus looks around, and we're told there's these ceremonial jars, giant jars, that are there to help people be clean. They were there for washing your hands. They were giant. Now, they're presented to tell us why they're in the room. We're told there's these jars in the room, and they're big, really big. And Jesus says, go and fill them up. And we're told they're filled to the brim. 
like right to the top. This isn't like any kind of half measure. This is right to the top, filled with water. And it's that that Jesus turns into wine. And then there's the amount given. Like, why does John record the amount? Remember, he's just told us about these giant vases of water. He then gives us the quantity. Well, the quantity, just for us to picture it, is the equivalent of 600 bottles of wine. That's what Jesus produces. He produces 600 bottles of wine. Why? Because he wants to know who he is, is one who's all about the quantity, abundance. He's an abundant provider. But then we can think, oh yeah, but quantity, you know, get as much as you can, but you know the quality's gonna go down. You know, anyone who shops at the certain supermarkets I do, you know that you can get lots, but the quality's gonna be a bit down there. I know with Jesus, abundant provider, but it's very good. I love that word. If you sit near me, you'll hear me say it lots. Why? Because I love hearing things that are very good and love proclaiming it. That was very good. I tell you what, Jesus is very good. So when he provides this wine, there isn't just abundance of it, it's quality. So much so that the guy he's presented it, the one presiding over the banquet, tastes it and says, this is very good. Man, you already bring this stuff out at the very beginning. And you've waited to this moment, this one, this is a choice year. Mmm, nice. Very good. Why? Because he's pointing to who Jesus is. Remember John at the sideline looking at the painting saying, I'm your guide around the gallery. That's who John is through this. And he's pointing and saying, what's going on at this banquet, this wedding banquet? It's revealing who Jesus is and who he is is one who is very good, who provides the best. See, this is a sign. A sign of who Jesus is as compassionate, as creator, as one who is an abundant provider and one who is very good. Why? John wants us to see in order that we'd come to experience him as that. Who do you know Jesus to be? Like Jesus longs to reveal himself. That's why this story is there to you and to I as the compassionate creator, abundant provider who is very good. But that's not the only sign. You see, the other sign is like, well, the next sign, I'm going to do three. Second sign is, it's about what he does. So what happens in this story is it starts to reveal like, what Jesus, we can look back on, has done. And John, as he's telling this story, saying, hey, we realize that in what, we're about to, what I'm about to give an account to of what he's about to do, it's all pointed to in this first sign of who Jesus is and all about his glory. See, what he did is first revealed in this moment of his interaction with Mary. So Mary comes up to Jesus and says, hey, there's a problem here. The wine's run out. And we can look at it with our Western 21st century like mind and hear it with our 21st century ears. And he says, woman. 
That's how we hear it. I don't know about you. I kind of hear, woman, it's not my hour. That's not what's conveyed in the Greek. See, in that moment where he says woman, it was just a way of referring with dignity to, to someone who was female. It wasn't how we do it. If I came up to you, if you were a lady here, and I went, woman, you'd be like slapping me in the face, and rightly so. But that's not what's going on here. See, Jesus, as an aside, says, woman with dignity, using that word, not mother, because there's a change in relationship going on here. Jesus is saying, look, earthly mother, you've got to understand now I'm doing what the heavenly father wants me to do. But this, I'm loving Vince in the room. I don't know about you. Like, Vince does come on where I do very good. And it's, I tell you what, I like it. Um, it is very good. Thank you. Get on tracks, Hurst. Um, but what Jesus says, having talked to her with dignity, woman, he says, it's not the hour. This is the moment that John wants you to get hold of again. You see, this is a phrase that he's going to keep coming back to of the hour. Because what that pointing to is a, is a moment that Jesus know, knows is coming. See, the hour is what's spoken of, of all the events leading to his death that then will bring about his resurrection. And so in this moment, Jesus says it's not the hour. Here's the amazing thing of John's gospel. is that John wants us to get hold of the fact this isn't the hour. Because the first interaction we see between Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus is this one. Where wine is produced out of water. And Jesus says to his mom, it's not the hour. The next moment we're going to see Mary interacting with her son will be the moment of the hour where Jesus is hanging on a cross and turns to his mother again and says, woman, this one, John, the writer of the gospel, is now your son and he will look after you. Why? Because he's the compassionate one who to his very last breath is looking after his earthly mother. Because John wants us to understand the hour Oh, it's going to come. Because this is a sign. A sign of what Jesus does. What Jesus did is he came to die. Which brings us to the next part. Because he came to die because the turning the water into wine. The wine was to remind us of another wine. The wine was to point us to wine. See, in the Old Testament, wine is continuously used as this moment of describing what the, the king to come, who's going to bring about God's kingdom, is going to do. He's going to always provide abundance, an abundance of what? Abundance of wine, because it speaks of God's fruitfulness. And those that are part of his kingdom get to drink the wine. And there's this moment that reveals the wonder of what's going on in this banquet, as, banquet, as we're going to see in Isaiah 25, where it says this, verse 6 to 8. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heavens, when it says Jerusalem, it means the place where God is dwelling. The lords of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. Big banquet. In, it will be a delicious banquet with, banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. 
There, he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. So Isaiah prophesying what it's going to look like when the king comes who reveals God's kingdom. He says, oh, it's going to be this moment where those who trust in him, those who are part of his kingdom, oh, they get to drink wine and eat great food. And as they swallow their food and their wine, I love this, Tim Mackey points this out. He says, as we're swallowing that, God swallows something. God swallows death. See, the hour has not come because the hour will come when Jesus will die. But the wine, oh, it's pointing to a greater wine. A wine that speaks of what God is going to accomplish through Jesus. Which gets us to this next part of the story where you find this moment where the presiding guy over the whole banquet tastes the wine. He says, the best was yet to come. The best is here. Man, why have you saved to this point, the last point, to get the good stuff out? Normally everyone does it at the first. Because actually his proclamation over this meal, over this wedding banquet, wasn't a proclamation about the banquet here. It was a proclamation, John wants us to see, of a sign of what Jesus is doing, what Jesus has done. That what we see here in this first sign, remember? Jesus turning water into wine. I mean, that's good, isn't it? Someone who can turn water into wine, that's amazing. Like if that was on TV, definitely Britain's got a talent winner. That's amazing. And John says, this is just the first sign. Why? Because the best is yet to come, the seventh sign. The seventh sign when what? We've already seen that, haven't we? John 20, when Jesus is resurrected, the final seventh sign. Where we see this one, the last one, is the best. Because the best was yet to come. And what it revealed is what? What Isaiah had promised. We get to drink the wine. We get to eat his bread. Why? Because he has swallowed up death. Not he might do. No, he has. Jesus died and he rose again. John 20 reveals the wonder that Jesus is now resurrected, promising resurrection for everyone who believes in him. Death is swallowed up. Sign of who Jesus is. It's a sign of the hope that he brings. It reveals who he is. It reveals what he does. This banquet reveals the hope that he gives. Hope that he gives to you. Hope that he gives to me. A hope that is about today. We're invited to know this Jesus. This Jesus who is the creator. This Jesus who is compassionate. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're facing completely in your life at the moment. But I promise you Jesus does. 
and he is filled, filled to the brim and overflowing with compassion and love towards you and towards me. This is who Jesus is. This is the hope that he brings. But he's also the abundant provider. He's the one who wants to come and meet with you and meet with me with everything of who he is to provide for everything that we need. See, the benchmark of this abundant provider isn't in 600 bottles of wine. It's in the giving of the whole of himself on a cross as a benchmark saying, this is it. I give the whole of who I am as God for the whole of who you are, humanity. Let's hear that. Not the whole of who you are, individual. That's tiny. Like Jesus dies for me? That's, that's a tiny thing. No, no. Jesus dies for the whole of humanity. Let's just broaden that. The whole of the cosmos. That's his abundant provision. In order that everything can be restored and made new. Because he is very good. And he wants to do you good. He wants to do me good. I don't know who you think Jesus is. I don't know whether you've kind of grown up, or whether you've started to allow some sort of warped image of who God is, that he's some tyrant waiting for you to step out of line so he can come in and smash you. I don't know. He is very good. And he longs to do you good. Even the things that sometimes... Jesus calls us to lay down. We think, yeah, but this feels so good. No, he calls us to lay things down that seem good because he's always offering something that is very good. Jesus is always going to call us into a life that is filled with his goodness. But it's not just for the now. It's also for the future. See, this banquet that John says is the first sign of Jesus' glory. It's to give us a taste of what is to come. See, this banquet, this wedding banquet, where the groom was left short, couldn't provide, about to be publicly shamed, and Jesus steps in and provides for the situation, points towards another banquet, Another banquet where Jesus will be revealed as the groom. When you read through scripture, there's another image of how humanity is presented as his bride. And this groom has enough for his bride. And there's this moment where Jesus tells a story of what that banquet will look like. Luke 12, 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will make them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. This image perplexes, humbles, and changes how I live. That one day you and I will meet Jesus face to face. And what this moment reveals is that when Jesus gathers his people to himself, we often think, oh, it's going to be that moment, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to give. No, Jesus comes and serves. I don't know quite what that looks like, 
and it's pictorial language. But in this moment, we're invited to imagine, imagine a banquet that we've been sat down at, the best ever. And the one that we think we're here to honor, Jesus, is the one that rather comes alongside and serves you and serves me. And at that moment, I think, but Jesus, you've done enough. It's always been about you, Jesus. Like, I can't possibly allow you to serve me. Let me take this. And Jesus says, no, let me serve you. The best is yet to come. The banquet in Cana, pale, pale shadow of what is to come. But one day, a banquet in his honor where he comes to serve you and me. But also it's in that hope that is the calms. Revelation 21, 4, 4, you remember these familiar words from Isaiah. It's like they kind of speak and link together. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. What Jesus has done is he's promised that everything will be made new. God will fill this earth with the knowledge of his goodness and love. And there will be no more pain or death or mourning or crying because Jesus has caused us to know a hope, not just for the now, but that is to come. Therefore, it is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's just look at just two questions. Who then do you say Jesus is? Is he one you see, full of compassion, creator, the one who is an abundant provider, the one who's very good? How we see him is to then shape our life. How will what you know shape your life? I want us to pause over this week and just consider that. Look at the story again. Take in the portrait again. Let's not speed walk through. Right, we've done the first one. First side done. Agent did an all right job. Done it. No, this week pour over. Allow the wonder of who Jesus is to fill your gaze. To fill, I'm going to do it for me, to fill my gaze. In order that he would shape more of who I am. Because where we're going to land today is in communion. I love communion because we do receive the promises of who Jesus is through it. But when we approach the table, this simple table of bread and we do juice, we approach it in so many different ways because the wonder of who Jesus is can't be pinpointed into one thing. So we can approach in different ways. And today I also want us to approach it in the way of seeing that it's the table of hope. That as we come and we take of the bread, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I receive again, Jesus, you as the bread of life. Knowing you as the bread of life were broken in order that I could receive you and know that you are my abundant provider. And that's what you do when you take the bread, you're eating it. I'm eating it, receiving Jesus as my abundant provider for everything, for my wholeness, for my future. 
But then also I get to take the cup. You get to take the cup and we're going to do it together. And it points us to what? To the wine that is to come. As we drink. Remember, man, this moment of this small gathered group of people. Don't hear that as a kind of derogatory term. I want to hear it in light of one day the banquet we're going to sit at. That we drink of this cup remembering one day we're going to sit at a different banquet with Jesus himself serving us. Drinking of the eternity that he has bought for us that has already started. But one day is going to cause this earth to be filled with his goodness. That this world isn't as it's meant to be. But Jesus' resurrection promises the best is yet to come. And that's what we drink to. So can I ask us, why don't we go and grab? Sorry, I'm not going to say that. We agreed that I wasn't going to say it anymore. I apologize for that. We never grab communion. We share it. That's, that's, that's me publicly kind of, kind of slapping myself in the face. I got it wrong. Hold my hands up. We share communion. Can I ask us to come gather, take some bread, take a cup, bring it back to our seats, and then we're going to share together. Uh, I'd ask you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not someone to say, Jesus is the Lord of my life, so at this point, just don't take that because it doesn't mean anything. Rather say, Jesus, reveal yourself. But for those of us it does, please can I ask us to come and participate by taking some bread and some juice. Thank you. In a moment, we're going to take bread. And we're going to do it together. Why? Because we all approach in the same need. Our abundant provider, the bread of life, Jesus. Before we take it, I just want us to take a moment and just to consider and just say, Jesus, this is where I'm at at the moment. You know my hopes, you know my fears, you know the things that I'm just in need of. And in this moment, as I take the bread, I remember your sufficiency for me. And as I remember your sufficiency for me, I remember you're also sufficient for everyone else in this room. And that reminds me you're sufficient enough for everyone in this planet. So should we just take a moment and then I'll invite us to take the bread. eat, receive the sufficiency of Jesus. When we get to the cup, we're going to take this in a moment. Before we do again, let's just consider. As we drink this cup, it reminds us the best is yet to come. This world isn't how it's meant to be. 
and one day we'll see him face to face. And this cup reminds us, Jesus has the final word. And for some of us, as we drink this, I felt as I was preparing today, for some of us, we just need to hear that promise. The best is yet to come. And yes, ultimately with Jesus, but I felt like for some of us in the room, as we drink this, I felt like it was a drink of hope. The situations that we're facing at the moment aren't the end of our story. I really felt like that Jesus wants you to know, as you drink today, it reminds you this isn't the end of your story. The best is yet to come. Shall we drink? I'm just going to pray for us if that's okay. Just if you want to close your eyes, just wave. Don't get distracted by others. Jesus, I thank you for the wonder of who you are. And I thank you for the wonder of what you've done. And I thank you for how that shapes our lives differently. And I pray, Jesus, as we leave this building now, I pray we'd go with more of who you are filling our visions. And I pray as we go with more of who you are filling our visions, I pray it would bring hope into each and every situation we're going into. And I pray as we live with that hope, I pray we'd know we now go with you to every place you've placed us in order that we have the privilege of causing others to taste and see how good you are. So I ask, Holy Spirit, go with us. God, we pray for every church in this community. We thank you that we get to stand together. And I pray, would you cause us to be those that are a blessing to this neighborhood? And God, we thank you for this city. And we pray, cause the churches in this city to work for its good in order that many would taste and see the wonder of who you are, Jesus. For your glory. Amen. Thank you.